Good day, everybody. This is Theology in the Dirt. Welcome. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are? Keith Thompson. Justin Owens. Hey, we're glad you guys are listening in to Theology in the Dirt, where we aim to practice our theology in the public square of our city and our world. And we're glad that uh, you are joining us in that discussion. Last week, we had a fun time talking about dating, and we promised you a couple more episodes, and we're going to give you those. But before we do, we have some hot takes. Now, there may be sports hot takes today. There may be political hot (laughs) takes today. There may be all kinds of hot takes. Hot take can be sports because I like sports. And I think we all like sports, but we also live in a world full of stuff. So, Justin, I'm going to let you kick it off if you want to bring us a hot take today. All right. So, I think Emmett is going to be proven to be a false sports prophet because I think you're going to have three number one seeds in the final four after today. Wow. And he said we'd have zero. Wow. <clears throat> so False profit on I the think, hot take. I think right. I think we're going to see more number ones make it to the Final Four, even though everybody's bracket's already been busted. Um, I think Baylor's going to win the men's tournament. Nice. All right. There you go. Yeah, like that it. is interesting. That it's been, it has been a crazy bracket. Like, it's been a crazy tournament. But still, the, the number ones have settled, settled on down. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Keith, what do you have? So I, I don't have any uh I don't have any like statistical analysis to give you, but I think I think the Braves are gonna have a great season. And so I think they'll I think they'll win the pennant. I can't go any farther than that. But um, nice. but I think the Braves are gonna have a great season. So I, that yep. that really just speaks to my excitement that that baseball's kicking off. Freddie Freeman said it's no longer good enough to not make it to the World Series. Yeah. So that's their end game. Yeah. I like that, but man, that's that's a uh, that's do or die. That's a I like his confidence. Yeah, that, that makes me excited. He said they were one game away last year, so right, got to make it this year. You do have to make, dude. They had such a lead. Like I'm still that that flame out in the NLCS hurt in my stomach almost as much as twenty eight to three. Almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Oh, almost. God. I saw somebody made a cake on three twenty eight. Uh, to commemorate all that. Those people, it was sad. All those people are pagans. We're on a bus in uh, Acadia National Park, little uh, transiting around because it's such a large park. So we're like, eh, we don't want to walk 15 more miles. So let's hop this bus to get to this point. And uh, Gabe had a Falcons uh, shirt mm. on. And somewhere from in the bus, I heard in, in this you know New England accent, 28 to 3. <laughs> and it was good natured. It was fun. And you just kind of just smile and go, thumbs up, man. I mean, what can you say? Like, I'm sick now thinking about yeah. it. That's awful. Tevin that, Coleman scores in the third quarter, and I said it exited my mouth, game over. And it was not game over. It was over. not. God, that, yeah. You can never count out Brady. Yeah. No, that's right. Okay. Um, my hot take um, is that it, it's going to be a little political hot take. I, I set, I have sat uh, and wrote in my journal a lot of things that I've just refused. I, I've learned. I'm 48, and wisdom's starting to catch. Probably should have caught 10 years ago, but I'm stupid. I'm I'm hard headed, and uh, so I've just learned not to say certain things and smile and wave and smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. But I've been bothered this week with the whole Georgia passing the election bill and people's. I feel like ignorant. Uh, polarized spin narratives on the thing. And my question to them is, have you read the bill? Have you read it? I mean, there's some things in it, probably like, oh, you know, Secretary of State, remo- there's some things going, okay, 
maybe from a civics perspective, maybe there's a better way to do that, mm-hmm. but none of the narrative is true. Mm-hmm. And it's just made my blood boil in some areas. I've been really bothered by that because it's just easy. Oh, this person said this on Twitter or somewhere, and this has got to be true. Or I heard this, the president said this. And I'm going, none of that's true. I actually looked at the bill. I got some critiques of it, but mm-hmm. there's no restriction in the bill. None. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It increased some opportunities. And what I, I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused. So anyway, I have my hot take is people need to stop propagating polarized spin narratives and just deal with some facts. But right now facts aren't popular. They don't play. They don't sell. Yeah. And so so mm. I guess my hot take is people need to shut up and read the bill. Mm. Yeah, or yeah, or be specific. Yeah. That that's the general sort yeah. of my general beef right um, with a lot of the narrative that's going on right now just Get cite one specific thing you don't like about the bill and why it's going to be a problem. Right. I mean, I may not agree with you, but yeah. I, I'd ex- at least accept that. I think maybe. Yeah. Other than just, you know, this is this is motivated by X or this yeah. is motivated by Y. It's bad. We've returned to Jim Crow, and I'm going no, not even <laughs> close. And I know that doesn't play even in a lot of Christian circles because it's kind of popular to jump mm-hmm. on this that that you know. And it's just not true, y'all. And it's bothered me. So facts seem to not matter anymore, even in Christian subcultures. Yeah. You just jump on the narrative and and that so that's my hot take is read the bill. And then let's dialogue on places where I don't like the whole thing of removing some of the stuff with the Secretary of State. Okay. All right. That's that's critiquable, but that's mm-hmm. not a restriction. Yeah. That's an inner working of how the government's talking to each other. Right? Not not my ability or anybody's ability to yeah. vote. So anyway, I've been bothered by that. It's my hot take. And so I'll move on before I really get, get us in trouble, <laughs> right? We'll be into another podcast. Yes, and, and I think that will actually be a worthy topic of discussion. So we talked about dating last time, and we really dealt around marriage. We talked about, because we talked about the end, right? What is this for? So this week we want to get into some of the nuance of how to, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Keith, you said something last week to kick us off, Uh you mentioned adolescence yeah. as a barrier to dating and the idea of, of the myth of adolescence. There's actually a book title. He's David Black. He wrote the, the Myth of Adolescence. He's a Greek professor, spent some time in other countries studying. It's a fantastic read. If anybody hasn't read the book, I suggest reading The Myth of Adolescence. But, Keith, what do you, what do you mean when you talk about adolescence as a problem to dating? Yeah, I think uh, we, we expect too little from... from um, you know, individuals when they when they get to the age of 13, 14, 15 years old, I think they're capable of a, of amazing things. Uh, I think that, sure, a 13-year-old is not as mature at 13 as they will be at 21 or 28 or 38 or 58, for that matter. But they're they are um, they are capable of doing amazing things. They have for all of human history, and so the the notion that it, it takes a child, there, there's this dead time between 13 or 14, and it used to be 18, now it's gone up to like 22, even up to 26, 27 years old, where there's, you hit the pause button because of education, because of, um, you know, lack of opportunities or whatever to get jobs, but, you know, there was a time when kids at 14 could go to work, they, they were given lots of responsibility, and now, because of school and the way culture works, you're supposed to at 13, from 13 to 22 is education years. 
And so after 22, 23, 24, you can begin to really get serious about life and, and uh, begin making mature decisions. And we talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but, and some of that is based in the science of what's going on inside of a person's brain and that kind of thing. <clears throat> but the, the, the truth is, if you look at 100 different people, you're going to find that the person whose brain is mature at 28, that person whose brain is, is essentially reached its whatever maturity it's going to reach um, physiologically, they still don't have the capabilities this 14-year-old does. Because when they're 28, their cognitive abilities are going to be light years ahead of that person. So you, it's like there's this spectrum that's there that you take two or 10, 28-year-olds. Right. Their capabilities to make wise decisions are going to be completely different. Right. So you can't say because they're 13, they can't make mature decisions. They won't be able to do that until they're 28. Well, that's the spectrum is so wide and broad. Right. Yeah. The influence. That, that can't be true because, right. like I said, there's the 14 year old who's, who's at Yale who's not cognitively mature yet, but they would blow me out of the water at 28 with their ability to process complex thoughts and different things like that. If we're talking about impulse control, right. I'm 52 and I struggle with that. Yeah. So impulse control also isn't mature. It, it doesn't, like you don't ever arrive is my point. It's not necessarily chronological. It's not a fixed reality yeah. that all these things for everybody are the same. Right. So at, at 14, you're going to have a capability. Right. That same person at 20 is going to have a capability that they'll have. And then at 52 and at 60. So it's hard to sort of flatline it and go, well, they're adolescents. They're not capable of various things. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, it, to, to, to whatever degree that individual is. And so the, what we don't know is because we haven't pushed them. We just bought in wholesale. Yeah. They're adolescents. Ah, what do you expect? They're adolescents. I, 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 I reject sort of that, that logic. I don't think it's a biblical presentation of, of, um, of consciousness. It's not a biblical representation of moral capability. Mm. That's good. That's good. Yeah. What do you think, Justin? Yeah. I mean, I, I used to work with the youth at church and you see it, <clears throat> you see the, you see the adolescence, but you also, you can, if you spend time with people, you can see the potential. Mm -hmm. Like your boys play football. They're crazy capable at doing some stuff, right? Whether it's lifting weights, whether it's doing almost unhumanly things to catch a football, right? They're capable people, right? We can teach them to be emotionally and mentally capable too. Yeah. I think the there's a worldview that pushes the idea that the biological capacity to reason uh, is fixed at certain places, and, and and we even see it growing. Like the the trend is that ability happens later in life, and and I think there's a worldview that pushes uh, that that is a fixed thing, uh, and and I think that worldview is that there's biological entities, and we're discovering this fixed thing. Uh, and, and and what I would say is, as a Christian, I reject outright the idea that biology is just flat out fixed, mm. but that it is also conditioned because the same science also recognizes you can recondition the brain uh, based on its input and how you manage the input, right? With trauma care, how you manage input for a kid that's been traumatized is different than how you manage input for a kid who hadn't been traumatized, meaning we're growing neurological pathways to other parts of our brain constantly and habit, environment, influence, intake, and output all affect the ability to do various things. And so what I would say is that whole idea of adolescence, the reason it's increasing is not because we're biologically evolving, 
but because our brains are adapting to the stimulus and the culture around us and the cultural expectation is sit around and play video games, don't need to have a job, you need to only entertain yourself. And I would argue the, the ability to reason and think, particularly when it comes to choosing a mate, is, has been slowed because of environment and input not just innate biology. If that, does that make sense? Yeah. I hope I'm not talking no, too it's, high. It's both and. Right. We're not denying the science behind yes. neurology and neurologic development. But at the same time, it's impacted by other things. That's right. It's nurture and nature kind of thing. Yes. Um, That's they, well they, both, they both play into it. And if you expect nothing out of a 16-year-old, you're going to get a 16-year-old who, who isn't capable of much. Right. If you expect a lot out of a 16-year-old, you're going to find that they're capable of things you had no idea and not just mentally capable, but uh, making uh, wise decisions like wisdom, mm-hmm. the ability to in a, in a situation where they have been trained for this, but they've been trained generally, they can get to the right answer yeah, that's at good. 16 or 17. So these, these folks are, are capable of that. And God expected, you know, in biblical times, they're human beings just like us. They, right. they weren't some lesser human. Right. They're not Neanderthals dragging right. their yeah. knuckles through the forest, God, right? Yeah, God expected them at, at ages that we're talking about to right. make wise decisions, and he held them accountable when they didn't. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they didn't get to say, what do you expect? I'm an adolescent, you know? <laughs> right. It just didn't go down like that. Yeah, that's right. But I should have looked it up, but, like, what age is a bar mitzvah? Right in Jewish culture, isn't it it's like 13, 14? To, from twelve to thirteen. Twelve to is thirteen. The transition. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and that's manhood, or yeah. it used to be. Like, yeah. I mean, even their culture recognizes not fully that now, but like in Jewish culture, becoming a man was thirteen. Right. And right. You're expected. You're not fully like, hey, get out of the house, go do your own thing. But like, you're a man. You're expected to do right things that a man yeah. would be expected yeah. to do. That's right. All right, we're going to, what I want to do, we're going to take a break right here, then we're going to come back and we're going to really, okay, we've laid some foundation on biological, psychological capability. We're going to get into some nuts and bolts, how to. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, we've talked about the myth of adolescence. I know there are going to be some people who don't agree with us and that's absolutely okay. Um, that's the point of a discussion. Introduce some ideas and discuss them. So, all right. What do we do now? When are people ready to marry? And then how do you get to that point? So, Justin, when are people ready to marry? And how do we get to that place? So we can just call you out mm. and Put me and on see the spot. what you got. Right. Yeah, so um, when are you ready to marry? Um, it's a terrible answer, but it's when you're ready. No, uh, I mean, but, <laughs> but right, like there's, a, there's not an age. There's not a bam, you're ready, but it's a are you mentally, emotionally, physically capable of being on your own, providing, if you're a man, helping provide for your family, you know, those type things, economically, socially, all that comes into play. So in our society, it's probably in your 20s. I mean, it would be really hard to get married at 18. Um, I'm not saying that's not doable, right? but it would be really, really difficult. I mean, really with the way our world works, early 20s is probably where that makes the most sense as a starting point. Mm -hmm. Um, And the how-tos look very different. How do you get to that point? Right. If you're not near that age, dating should probably look a lot more like friendship and learning to interact with the opposite sex in a um, healthy way, in a group setting. Um, We talked last week about, like, don't awaken these desires until you can do something about them. Right. So it makes no sense to engage in an activity. I think Keith discussed this really well last week. 
don't engage in something you can't fully engage in. Right. So if you're 13, 14, dating is not the same. Right. Shouldn't be as when you're 20, 24, 30, yeah. whatever you are. Yeah. Um, well, you're talking about the ability to exercise some manner of self-control, which we're going to, let's just go ahead and state here. We're assuming that for a Christian, this is going to look different than a non-Christian. For a Christian, we're going we're gonna to believe that they have the capacity because of God's presence in them to exercise self-control, meaning they're intentionally going to be trained to only put themselves in positions, and they're going to make mistakes, right, because we're humans, but they're going to make mistakes, but we're going to train them to only put themselves in positions to make the good decision to just learn how to function as male and female comfortably without being stupidly awkward which is going to be trial and error, but then learn how to relate emotionally to a girl who's going to, who's wired differently than us. So we're going to teach them how to navigate those waters. They're, they're, they're not first physical, they're emotional. They're just all these things God wired a girl to be different and teaching them how to approach that relationship mm -hmm. first and foremost as a Christian. As non-Christian, yeah. that's a different story, right? Yeah. But as Christians, there's there's some expectation on how to approach getting, getting to marriage. Keith, mm -hmm. what are... What are some of your ways? What do you think about when, but how do you get there? Well, there, there's a, there, there are some articles that have come out and have, have been in some major publications lately dealing with this notion of sex before marriage. And so I want to make a couple of comments. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about dating, it's in the context in the Christian worldview that we, we believe that sex is for marriage. Sex is a, is a glorious thing. It's designed by God. We talked about that a little bit last week, but it's within the confines of marriage. So there are, there are Christian, even, even in the, in, inside the Christian world, where they're, they're sort of changing their mind on that a little bit. But we're, just, we're saying outright that, no, that we believe that, that sex is for marriage, and sex isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's, it's in marriage. Hmm. But, and so what we're saying, we, we don't want to happen is we don't want kids who are 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds sexually active uh, in, a, in a relationship where they're not married. Right. But there is a danger, too, also, I think, even if, which I, I think this would be exceptionally rare, but even if you found a, a couple of kids who were dating and they started at, at 16 and they dated till 18, 19 years old, and they were able to stay uh, sexually pure, I still feel like because of the emotional connections that happen in a relationship like that. Because that's impossible to not emotionally right. connect. So, so you're going to have intimate emotional connections with people. And this may, and I, I don't want to, this may not be true, but I, my hunch is that it is that, especially for a girl, the emotional and the emotional intimacy that they're going to connect with a guy that they've been with for that long are going to be things that are going to affect them when they do get married. Right. So they didn't, you know, they didn't, <clears throat> they didn't do things they shouldn't have done sexually, but they, they made connections that really were meant for a husband or a wife that I believe would have implications for your marriage. And it would, um, it's going to feel a little bit like you were married before, right? When you get married because of emotional things that you shared. So this isn't just about maintaining sexual purity, right? Limiting your dating experiences and your serial dating experiences is also about giving yourself away emotionally yeah. and spiritually and mentally, uh, not just about sexually. So if you're if somebody's out there thinking, well, you know, I know kids that 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 they dated three or four people, they were serious relationships, and they never they were able to maintain their sexual purity. 
there's still a cost to that, I think. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, the Proverbs tell us, above all things, guard your heart mm. because from it flow the springs of life. So there's a, there, I, I think because of our hypersexualized context and the fact that we're from the fall, from, from the sin of Adam and Eve in the beginning, we default to physical and ignore sometimes our spiritual reality. And I, I think the emotional component, it's easy to undersell it and oversell the physical. Because we all know when we get older, the physical is, isn't as important as the emotional. It's not unimportant, but it's not primary. And what we've discovered is we pillaged our soul, maybe, as a teen, as a 20-something, and didn't realize that when I'm in my 40s that that was going to pay out to the negative. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think because we hyper-sell the physical and undersell the emotional, we think we can just date and serially date. And even though I haven't had sexual relations... I'm okay. And in fact, I don't think we are okay. Mm-hmm. I think we see some of the emotional challenges we see in marriages tied to the emotional damage we took and, and weren't even aware we were taking emotional damage. Oh, we hurt our heart and it took us a few weeks to get over it. Not realizing that's a deep wound that we can be guarded from. And, and if the Proverbs are right, then life springs from that. And if I've wounded that, life's not springing from that. Yeah, you, you you go through these relationships and you develop the, you you could develop the notion that this is the way girls treat a guy, or this is the way that that men treat a woman, and you bring that baggage into your marriage, and it, it's not a sexual thing. It's a it's an emotional relational thing, right? And it's misconceptions about what a relationship should look like that you developed in relationships you really should have never even had. Mm. Mm. So that's there, good. there are there's so many other implications other than the sexual thing. Although that's that's very very serious. We'll get into that. Right. Absolutely. Um, so so I I think I think marriage is is something because of where we live, somewhere between eighteen and early twenties, because there's gonna be some kids who are going to graduate high school with their welding certificate, and they're going to be seventy five dollars an hour and making more money than I ever dreamed per hour, and they got a girl they've been knowing since ninth grade and they're tight and it's good and they both love Jesus and they're going to be better off from 18 on than I ever was. And so I would say context is going to dictate some things there. So I I would say it would be really hard for a kid in our setting to be married in high school just for all manner of reasons. So I would say sometime post high school on. So whenever you get out of high school, my kind of target age is somewhere right there for our boys. Hey, if God's given you that girl and you can live as a family and support one another, get after it. I would rather you fight to pay the electric bill and scrape, not fight each other, but scrape and fight in your little job while you're going to school to pay the electric bill than I would you have to be fighting the temptation to avoid what God biologically made you to do together. So that, so let's get after it. So graduate high school, let's get after it. It's kind of, kind of my how we're kind of coming at this. I mean, ideally, you know, hey, you're, you're set. But, man, I'm telling you, financial struggles are nothing compared to emotional struggles. Mm-hmm. It is so much better to scrape to pay a bill than it is to heal your heart. Right. And the pushback on that is how, how in the world can you, can you pick the right person at 18? Like you can't, you can't, the person you would have married at 20, at 18 is different than you would have married at 24 or different than you would have married at 30. But the, the truth is it doesn't matter who you pick. You're going to get to that point in your marriage where you're going, right. did I pick the right person? I mean, that, that's just the nature of marriage. That's right. So whether you've done it at 18 or 20 or 30, 
to stay married yeah. is going gonna, is gonna to be more of a, of a spiritual and mental commitment than it is that you found that perfect person right. that the stars just lined up and you're, you're each other's soulmates. Which is and a man, bunch of hooey. You, you can't find that person at 18. You can't find your soulmate at 18. You, you, that takes time and lots of trial and error. And no, that, that is a, it's something that's been forced on us by our culture and the media and the arts that, that marriage and these relationships are going to just, you know, and, and even people around us, you go, well, yeah, but what about that couple? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, have, have you ever lived with them? Like that, right? Just because it seems like they've got the perfect marriage, I assure you, they don't have the perfect marriage. They have their struggles just like you do. Yeah. And so, like holding it off until you're 25 and smarter and wiser, and you've had a bunch of experience on your belt, doesn't guarantee anything. No. That isn't going to happen at 18. That's right. That's right. And 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 it, and if this happens inside covenant fellowship and community, like it should. Again, we're assuming we're Christians. We're talking about what this is like to do among Christians. If you're not a Christian, I don't have answers for you. Good luck, right? But but for us as as Christians, we're there's a providential process in covenant fellowship in which mom, dad, other people are speaking into that in a healthy manner. And I don't mean anything weird. I just mean, hey, I attribute I, this girl is solid. This is good. This is good for you. And they say that guy's good. This is good for you. And the affirmation of the fellowship, which I think is Trinitarian theology worked out the affirmation of the fellowship with mom and dad and girl and guy is holy and has spiritual implications far beyond what us mm-hmm. evolution influence mm-hmm. biologically biological evolutionary influence naturalists even though we're christians mm-hmm. imagine there's a supernatural component to that and 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 i frankly i think we see it rarely done well mm-hmm. we're all kind of wrestling with doing it poorly, and then trying to figure out how to do it well, right? I think, Justin, you have a pretty good story of doing that pretty good. I think you have a great story. Yeah, so, I mean. Tell, tell us quickly quick, your story. Quick 30-second version of my story. Uh, Lex and I started dating when she was a sophomore, uh, freshman in high school, end of her freshman year. I was a senior. Um, her mom had been one of my teachers, so I knew her family. They knew me. I was good friends with her cousin. So they were like, yeah. You but know, she's not your fine. cousin, right? This isn't no, no, Hillbilly. No, 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 no. This I isn't Hillbilly Appalachia. Is I was it? friends with Alexa's cousin. Alexa's not my cousin. I hope Alexa um, doesn't listen to this. At least they're not first cousins. <laughs> Our merchant. Right. Who can That's tell? Right. right. Uncle Grandpa. No. Um, so, so, but we dated from that point on. Uh, never crossed the lines we shouldn't have. Um, and yeah, That's awesome. so we dated, both went to Barry, um, and we got married. Her. Uh, right before her senior year of college. So I was out of college. That's she was cool. going to be a senior. So we will been married 10 years in May, dated for uh, six leading up to that. Awesome. They engaged. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's cool. That's a good story. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's clean, holy, right, good. But I can also tell you from experience, other people that were dating in high school, um, some of my best friends, who had long-term relationships, dated multiple years, and I would have bet money at the time that they were going to marry that girl. They're, none of them married. Mm, um, right. I, I, we told the boy, I remember from high school and, and teaching school for 10 years, I've never seen a high school relationship, at least in my experience, work itself out mm-hmm. to marriage. It's ended up in broken hearts and yeah. tears and 
strained relationships and it's the rarity. It's the rarity, right? It's the exception, not the rule. I think I would argue that it's harder now for various reasons than mm-hmm. it would have been 20 years ago and certainly different than 40, 50 years ago. But right. some, of, some of the context has changed so much, I think it, it makes that even more, even yeah. tougher. But one, one thing I would like to say about this is, I, and I don't know if in, in this section of the podcast we'll get to it, so I don't want to miss it. Whether or not you're ready at 18 has a lot to do with your spiritual condition yeah, at 18. I agree. Mm-hmm. Because most of us are like, man, I, no way I could have made the decision to get married wisely at 18. But the, the truth is it's because you were living like a hellion when <laughs> right. you were 18. You, you right. weren't spiritually mature yet. That's good. You can be very spiritually mature yeah. at 18. And so can the girl that you're, that you're or the guy that you're dating I mean, that's, that's a prerequisite anyway. I mean, whether right. you're 30 or 18, both of you, you're not ready to get married until you're, you've been on a journey right. with the Lord for, for a little bit. Yeah. And you've been, not that you're perfect, but you've been pursuing the Lord for a while. That can, happen, that can be true for an 18-year-old. Absolutely. It can also not be true for a 30-year-old. Right. And so for the 30-year-old that comes to you and says, am I ready to get married? And you're looking at their life and they're, they're not following the Lord. They're just, man, their life's chaotic. Right. So you're not ready to get married. Right. Now, the 18-year-old I just was chatting with, they're ready, but you're not. Right. So readiness for marriage is about being in the right place with the Lord and, yeah. and a number of other things as far as getting your life sorted together. Yeah. And I, 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 no, no one should hear me say you have to be have your act completely together. That's not what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But it is there is a spiritual... When, I'm look, when my boys and Sydney, when she gets old enough, is looking for a mate, they're... My goal for them is they're looking for someone who's got a little bit of a history of walking with the Lord, not somebody that because you're interested in Jesus, now I'm ready to clean my life up and go to church with you. Right. No, that, that's not what we're, we're looking for. Somebody's got a, they've got a, it's like when you do references when somebody's coming to work, you want a history of solid performance. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there when you're talking about, man, 18 years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's possible. Absolutely. Yep. There are couples uh, in a bygone age who married at 15, 16, mm-hmm. and made a, a, a fantastic godly life out of it because they were emotionally and spiritually mature. Yeah. And again, I, I think our context sets that. Our emotional maturity isn't because we're biologically evolving to a point we can do it. It's because we've set a culture that's caused us to be behind emotionally. And we've created this stage of life called as adolescence that, that in, in my estimation, it's real, it's there, but it's a mythological reality. It's kind of like a, a world we've created and set down and, and dumped on top of a kid, and so we've just accepted it. And what we've done is manipulated the the human soul mm-hmm. to be short or elongated in its development. And when, in fact, they're biologically ready, spiritually and emotionally not ready, and we have set that and we've done that to them. I think I think part of it is it reveals the um, idols we worship, the idol right. of economic certainty and prosperity and wealth. We've set that on top of, I mean, there's a reality. Like if you can't yeah. make a living, you can't live on your own and can't get married. But the the narrative goes, you got to be able to be set for life. Like it's going to impact your ability to have your third home when you retire at the beach if you get married at 18 and don't wait till you're 28. We do that with having kids, but a lot of it comes back to it's going to impact me making money yeah, versus what's actually good for me. And obeying the Lord, and so that just reveals that we got some idols that we don't like yeah. to address. What well, I even think too that the educational component we have to continue to speak into there is uh, 
we've not trained kids to be on mission as far as education. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in high school, you need to have already had some manner of training that's got you pinpointed some kind of vocation. That tendency is already there. God wired it there. Psalm 139, all your days were written before you before there was yet one. So that kid's already vocationally apt in some manner. And we help them discover that. They're not wandering, flaundering around as a senior going, I don't even want to do in my life. They're going, no, I'm made to be a welder. Mm-hmm. And I've got practice and experience. So even vocationally, they're ready to then make that economic jump because they've been trained. To, so there's so many factors that are speaking into this. There's no way to cover all of them. And we haven't even gotten to, well, how do you do that? Well, well? That, that's a good segue, though, Mitch, of going, if people are out there saying, okay, you guys, you've theorized, I'm, I'm almost buying in, but I've got 15-year-old kids. How do you do it? Right. Like what you mentioned helping them understand what education looks like because education isn't college. Right. <laughs> That's part of it. I part mean, it, it might right. be college, but education is, it starts way before that. Absolutely. So what do you do as a parent? What are some things you can put into place, either barriers or practices that can get you to where your kids don't completely rebel and just go off the rails um, with this pretty rare sort of view of the world? Right, you know? right. Well, I'll tell you what we've done. My 19-year-old, if he had a if his if he had a girl that was running the same speed as him right now, I would counsel them to get married. He's got his stuff together. He's applied to school himself. He's going to PT school, University of North Georgia. He applied to Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters on his own. He's been wanting to do that since 6th grade. He's summer staff there. He handles he texted me this morning and said, "Hey, I got I'm taking my car to the shop to get stuff done." Like he just initiates and takes care of his business. He earns his money. He's he's good. And and I would say, I'd counsel y'all to go ahead and get married. Let's do this thing now. Two incomes better than one. And so what did we do to get there? Now again, Keith, you said before we even started recording, this is because we're talking this doesn't mean we've got it perfect across the board and our kids may mess up hard. So far I'm batting 300, 333. <laughs> I've still got two more we got to get down this road, but but what we have done is we've set the standard. Big picture, run as hard as you can to Jesus. Make sure that's there. That's first priority. Run as hard and fast as you possibly can to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of everything else. Secondly, look to the right or the left and, and, and look at one that's running. Girl, they're boys. So we're one guy, one girl. So we've got all boys. Find a girl's running the same speed you are in the same direction. And then third, invite her to run it with you whenever that happens to be. And that's kind of been our framework, those three things. Run hard to Jesus, look the right or left, find one running, running the same speed you are, same direction, and then invite her to run it with you, and then get after it. And that's been our big framework. And so what we've done around that is Christian only. You know, so only spend time with, with girls who are Christians. Like, intentionally do that. And, and, and we've tried to make up opportunities for them to spend with a family in our church that they've known since birth, and they do. They'll go get food together and We've been hoping to arrange marriages, and it hadn't worked out yet. But they're all buddies, and they go get food together, and they come and do dumb stuff together and then talk junk to each other. And and so spend time with Christian girls and then learn, ask questions. We initiate hard questions. Uh, we give a lot of leeway. So my as a, as a father and, and Jennifer as a mother, we have had pretty – our boundaries have been strong but not real tall if that makes sense. We haven't wanted to create something that's so legalistic that they wanted to rebel. We let a lot in that some wouldn't let in. 
so that there wasn't a curiosity that made them want to jump over the wall. So we let them have a lot, taste a lot, experience a lot, so they wouldn't want to jump over the wall. But the boundaries were clear where they were, if that makes sense. So I don't want to get too specific, so I don't want to embarrass anybody. But the boundaries are there. They know where they are. But they're not so high that influence can't get in, and they go, okay, I don't want to go do that. That's no good. And, and that's kind of help, helped us keep pushback down. Well, I don't need to go do that. Well, I already did that. I already seen that. I know that. I've heard that. And so they don't jump over the wall. So we set the barriers clear, not too high. And that's allowed us to be able to walk them down that road. And we're not done. All manner of things can get off the rails. So I please Jesus here. There's no arrogance in that. That's fear and trembling. So far, so good. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever we ne- we've got to do, which those aren't biblical. I'm just saying, I say that with fear and trembling. But that's some of how we've approached that. And that all happens in the context of the church, mm. inside the fellowship. Um, people see your lives, they serve. They're required to serve. They don't have any option but to serve. You get in, you serve. People see your life, they see your character, they give you feedback. They give you feedback, you receive that feedback. And so that has caused us to have them in this place where they experience and see the world, taste it, and hopefully make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but good. Uh, still got a ways to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for it, it sort of laced in with what you're describing is it, it's a it's an effort to communicate early on what marriage ought to look like, what kind of things you ought to be pursuing. It's not like you don't pursue dating. It's um, It's that you do pursue God's calling in your life. So you're going to nurture while while your friends or peers or whatever that are spending a bunch of time in, in that world, you're going to spend your time um, trying to trying to find out what God's called you to. What are you good at? What do you like? What are the things that you have an affinity for and maybe also have a gifting in, and and find out and try to find out what your calling is, and then pour yourself into that mm. at 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. So you're pursuing the Lord. You're pursuing. Um, a career, even you're thinking about those things early on, and then, um, and you're just developing rich friendships That's with good. guys if you're a guy, with yeah. girls if you're a girl, and and even great friendships with girls too, mm-hmm. or whoever the opposite sex is in the in the right setting, whether it's in the church or at the school or whatever, so that you're you're developing relationship skills. It's not like you mm. you don't know how to deal with a girl because right. you're 18 and you haven't seriously dated one. Right. It's not like that. But you're you're pursuing as you're pursuing the Lord. Yeah. And you know, one of the cool things that happens with that is is if you, you know, if you really like this area and it's something that you might be gifted in and you're there doing it, and it just so happens there might be a girl there doing it as well. It just it it dovetails as where now there's this other person that that likes what I like. We're connected in that sense. And and so that's where you learn how to do relationships uh, with the opposite sex. But and just being open about sexuality and yeah, you know, sexuality is not bad. It's the whole fire thing. It's super good, but if it's out of its bounds, it can be destructive. And mm-hmm. we're not saying that we're not saying that if you've got two boys that are dating age, we're not saying girls are bad, right? We're saying girls are great, yeah. But girls at the right time, in the right way, you deal with it. I mean, that's kind of a common sense. That's yeah. the way life works. I'm 99. percent I traumatized myself and all three of my sons with that conversation. <laughs> yeah. and, and if I need to get them in line, I threaten to start talking about it, and they just run, ears covered. Oh God, no! <laughs> I don't want to hear you say sex is good. No. <laughs> yeah, don't ever say that again, Dad. I don't look forward to those conversations. Yeah. I might too. No, I swear. I, if I never have to have that again, it'll be too soon. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. I did mm-hmm. not appreciate it because it was pretty frank. And I was like, oh God, no. Yeah. Oh. 
So, Justin, what are your so thoughts? So, my, my thoughts, I'm different because my kids are seven and four, right? So, for me, dating's to come, but, like, I don't have the experience. I don't have teenagers going through it. Watch our but failings. I, but I mm-hmm. do get asked by single people, single guys, be specific there, single guys, what do I do? How do I handle this? I was asked this. This happened. And that's mostly guys in their mid to late 20s, um, some early 30s, you know. So I see two things. One, you, you, everything's not sexual, right? Talking to a girl, girls are not primarily sexual beings, mm-hmm. sexual objects for us to, you know, mm-hmm. deal with. It, you know, they're people. They're made in God's image. They're, they're friends. They're sisters. They're, you know. So I have a healthy relationship with females and don't be so scared to ask somebody at a coffee to get to know somebody. Right. Asking somebody on a date is not asking them to marry you. But when you're 30, dating a little bit, you ought to know, are they following Jesus? Those things you mentioned, right? Are you, are you both following Jesus? Are you going in the same direction? Because if that's not lined up, right, the whole rest of the thing's going to get sideways. Right. Doesn't matter if you do everything else right. But if you're not following Jesus and in agreement on some core things and going in the same direction... It's going to have consequences down the line. Yeah, that's good. So those are priority things to have conversations about early rather than waiting until, hey, I've been with this person a long time. We got some connection, and now I want to think about marrying her. Yeah, that's good. Oh, but we don't agree on the fact that, right? you know, this is what we feel like Jesus has called us to do yeah. or, or even basic theological beliefs. We have opposite opinions on stuff. Yeah. That's good. All right, let's do this. We want to wrap this one up, and we're going to come back, and, and next time we're going to talk about um, dating as a social justice issue. So so let's wrap up. Keith, give us some of your final thoughts. Justin, give us some of your final thoughts, and I'll close, and and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get ready to come back and see you guys next time. What do you think, Keith? There's a lot here. Yeah, there really is. I, I would just sort of leave people with the, with the mindset, or at least with um, – the thought process that we're really trying to come at this, we haven't been throwing loads and loads of scripture out there. It's not like we've, we've really developed a biblical theology of marriage or dating, but we've tried to anchor everything that we thought in the scriptures. So I believe, and I think for you guys, I think you would say the same thing. We believe that this, this view of dating flows from our understanding of the way God made the world and the way God made marriage and the way God and the way marriage is supposed to work itself out in society for our, our good and our flourishing. So I, I would just challenge people, if there are points where you disagree with us, that's that's fine. I would just chart, I would really encourage you, make sure that you can, identi- you can identify parts of the story in the scriptures that confirm what you believe. Just make sure it's anchored to a biblical view of the world because there's so much that at first hearing is just sounds wrong because we're so flooded with a different narrative right. when it comes to these kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. So don't allow yourself, fight back against the, that's just wrong, and try to anchor it to Scripture. It's good. Anchor it to a biblical worldview, and then, um, yeah, and think through it like that. That's good. I like it. I think for me the key is having your priorities in order. Um, and it, it's really that way with any issue we could talk about, but uh, especially when it comes to dating and relationships, right priorities, right order, you know, is Jesus at the top? Or are we both on team Jesus? Are we, are we following him? We, we have the same understanding of what that means and what the mission is. If you work down from those priorities being right to other things, then everything starts to line up and make a lot more sense. So 
and, and that's why it's rare, just to, in my frank opinion. I think this is the rare opinion of the world because it seeks to put things under the right order. And I think for, sadly, too many people, there's no thought given to how to do this right or what's the Christian biblical worldview around this because we don't want to bring all things under the rule and reign of Christ. So having those priorities. It's good. I think theologically, one of the challenges we have with our kids is we haven't raised them to be theologically astute. A lot of student ministry, I used to jokingly call it booger games. I'm not against booger games. I like booger games. Booger games are fun. But when the totality of our student ministry is built around entertainment and not discipling in the scriptures and and the world, because Keith, you said it, and I think this is High level thinking at its finest is when when I when I instantly instinctively push back against something, ask why. That grows our ability to think, and when we start asking why, then we start realizing well that thought came from somewhere other than God's word. And then if then if it did, where did it come from? If it didn't come from God, how nefarious and dark is it? And it's disguised, right? Because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so asking why, why am I pushing back against that? And, and, and I think to train our kids to do that early is key. Mm-hmm. It's so key. And they're capable. Mm-hmm. They're completely capable. It's a lie that they can't think theologically. I used to have in my classroom, I mean, I taught ninth graders biblical theology. You started with the Old Testament. And, and, and I taught them big theological terms, and parents used to go, oh, my gosh, my kid's not capable of that. Like, I don't understand why this is so academic. And well, Number one, it's not academic. It's just the Bible. It's there. And two, give them six weeks. Six weeks in, kids were just rolling in good theology and good biblical theology and seeing Jesus out of the text and not abusing the Old Testament. And parents would go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that was possible. They're teaching me things. They're capable. They have a brain. I've been in parts of the world where the kids that age are already fighting wars and providing for families. Don't tell me they're not capable. Mm. It's expectation. So start early, train them deeply. And they can learn and they, they can adapt. And, and, and I think that's that's huge. And I just the last thing I want to say to, to, to grown men and women in the church, listen, unless God's called you to be single, men, our, our church is full of women who would love to be married to a good man. Go find a girl. If she's running the same direction, same speed as you are, ask her to run it with you, and we'll get that done in about two weeks. Boom! Problem <laughs> solved. Multiplying children in the kingdom of God, filling the earth and subduing it. Let's get after it. But that's going to take some growth in our own our minds. Mm. So we've left a lot of meat on the bone. I'm absolutely certain about that. So if you would love to send us an email and ask us a question or two, we would love it if you would do that because we'll always circle back and deal with some fun stuff. We appreciate you listening to Theology in the Dirt, and it's an absolute joy to do this. We'd love it if you would go and rate our podcast. You can find it in whatever medium you like, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Google, or whether it's Anchor, or whether it's Apple Podcasts. Listen, share it, give it a five-star rating, send us your questions at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. And we will come back to them and answer them. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great day. Out.